0: We have the privilege of hearing God's word this morning. So uh, let us read a few short verses and then ponder them for a while. Matthew 13, starting in verse 47. These are now God's words we're to hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They, the disciples said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is is old. And may God give us insight today into what Jesus Christ said and is saying to us. I want to get us into the passage by making a statement that might surprise some of you. When you become a Christian, you enter a world of disappointment. Now, if you're a child here today, and you've put your faith in Jesus, this might not make any sense to you at all. What? Being a Christian can make me disappointed? Or if you've been recently converted, you may wonder, how in the world could I begin a sermon with a statement like that? Disappointment? So I want to explain. When you come to know God through Jesus' death on your behalf, you enter a world of wonder. The burden of your guilt is lifted from your shoulders. You now have direction for your life. The Spirit has come to fill you with a sense of God's nearness and His love for you. You look into the Bible and see acts of great power, sacrificial love unheard of in this world. You enter the church and find other people who believe the same thing and they're really happy about it but after a while, you come to realize this world remains a bad place. And you know that God could end all the badness in a moment, but he doesn't. And then, as you get to know the church, you find that it too can be a place where sin and injustice are tolerated, even excused, the church, a place where hypocrites exist. And many times you didn't realize they were hypocrites until after they were gone. And then it gets worse than that. You look inside yourself and you realize that your sins are forgiven. And you realize that real change has come to your life but you still struggle with sin and you must pray daily for forgiveness from God and you often must seek forgiveness from other people you've offended. So you look at the world, the church, yourself, and you feel a sense of disconnection. Why doesn't God make it all right? Like right now? And you're not the first one to face this problem. We saw... And it's been wonderful to go through uh, even hearing some online, the sermons that we've heard from Matthew. But we saw so wonderfully explained to us in Matthew 11 how John the Baptist had the exact same struggle. He looked at all the promises God has made about the coming Messiah who would bring God's kingdom to the earth. He's going to right all wrongs. He was going to put down the wicked. And then God showed John that this Messiah is the very Jesus of Nazareth, John's cousin. But after John baptizes Jesus and announces his arrival as the Messiah in the world, and after John hears reports of Jesus' teaching and miracles, John realizes still, Still, the temple is run by corrupt people. Still, the Romans rule in Judea. And John sends a message to Jesus from prison. He's in prison because he called out the sexual corruption of a fake Jewish king. And John begins to wonder, is Jesus really the Messiah? He sends a message and asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we be looking for another? The parables of Matthew 13, and this is the third third sermon covering these parables, these parables are a response to John's disappointment. And they're a response to our disappointment disappointment. Jesus teaches them in such a way that though they describe very simple situations, every one of his hearers was familiar with the things that he describes. It was an everyday thing he taught about yet their meaning was only revealed to his disciples. John's questions, the disciples questions, our questions need an answer. Why, Jesus, do you accept only a few? I'm sorry. Why, Jesus, do only a few accept your words and believe in you? Why do some who accept your words later abandon you? Why, Jesus, do you allow your people to be mixed in with people of the world? Why, Jesus, is your kingdom so small and the Roman kingdom so domineering and global? Why does your work in the world seem hidden? Why do people not look for you as hidden treasure? Or when they do see you, why don't they see that you are of inestimable value? Now, Jesus never answers these why questions. But his parables acknowledge that these questions are real. And they're the right questions. It's the seventh parable that answers the cry of our hearts found in Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The kingdom has arrived, the seeds still bear fruit, the wheat still grows. The seed truly is small. Its effects are hidden to most. Only some discover it, and most don't realize how precious it is. Yet the kingdom has arrived. Already the kingdom has come, but its work is not yet complete. Jesus still has to complete his work. So in these first six parables we learn of how Jesus works in his kingdom before the seventh parable. The promise of the last parable in verse 47 is that all this confusion will be rectified at the end of the age. The kingdom will come as John the Baptist expected, just not yet. So Jesus gives us this seventh parable to help us foresee what's to come. Now, our text today comes in two parts. There's a final seventh parable that concludes all the teaching of Matthew 13. And then Jesus gives his explanation of his teaching ministry. And so we're going to look at it because they are two uh, different, rather different texts connected by the entire chapter. First, we're going to look at the parable of the net. So number one. In verses 47 through 50, there will be a final sorting. Jesus talks about a net thrown into the sea. Now, like the sower sowing the seeds and the treasure hidden in the field, um, everybody would have immediately known what Jesus was talking about. This is not a boat net, but a drag net. Now, a dragnet was a long net, and on the top side of the long side, there would be things that floated in the water, and on the bottom, weights. And the fishermen would take it out out, shore, out, out maybe, I don't know how many yards from shore, 50 yards from shore, maybe, and they'd drop the net, and then they'd stand on the shore, and they'd grab these long ropes on either end, and they would drag the net in to shore. And then they would begin to see all the things because they pretty much took in everything that was out there fish, shells, sunglasses, old beach chairs, anything that was out in the water they pulled in. Well, maybe not the sunglasses and the beach chairs. Um, once the net was on shore, the fisherman's work was only half done they had to separate the inedible fish, the sick or damaged fish, eels and catfish, which were common in the Sea of Galilee, but the Jews did not eat, and they had to separate that from the good fish. Jesus says that at the end of the age, the angels will gather all the peoples of the earth and sort them out, like the fishermen sitting on the shore. Then it will be clear Which seeds were fruitful? Which seeds were wheat and not weeds? Which ones had sold everything to follow Jesus and which had rejected this pearl of great price? Which ones were good fish and which were bad? This great separation does not come until the end of the age. In the meantime, those who embrace the kingdom and those who long for its completion must wait and realize that their longing and need for endurance is a part of God's kingdom program. Okay, so all the confusions of life that we often encounter, all the why questions, Jesus says, you've got to wait. You're going to have to wait. This great separation does not come until the end. In the meantime, those who embrace the kingdom and long for its completion must wait and realize that we've got to realize that our longing and our need for endurance. Is all a co- it's, a, it's a part of God's plan. Leaving us in this sometimes confused condition is all a part of God's plan. Jesus describes the place where the bad fish end up with exactly the same words He uses to describe in the parable of the weeds, where the weeds go. Look at verse 50. And throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the comparison moves from bad fish thrown into a garbage can to a furnace where metal would be refined and heated for shaping, a really hot place you don't walk into. Now, you've got to realize this fiery furnace metaphor, it, it's a metaphor. It's a comparison. Um, you can't take this punishment literally beyond the fact that it is real and filled with pain. People cannot go into a furnace like that and continue to exist. But Jesus says in the furnace there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it is a place of anguish and pain. To reject Jesus' offer of salvation from this punishment leaves you exposed to God's perfect justice. So there is a choice in even hearing his parables and his preaching proclaimed. There's a choice before us that will be finally, the consequences of that choice will be finally realized at the end of the age when this net is hauled in. Any sin against God's holy Justice requires punishment. If you embrace Jesus' death and ask God to count Jesus' death for the weeping and gnashing of teeth that you deserve, you enter into the kingdom of righteousness that John the Baptist was longing for. Where sin and sickness and natural disaster and betrayal and the abuse of power, they are all removed from this earth. If you reject Jesus... You get justice. It's the justice of this furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you know, a lot of preachers avoid this topic. And it makes us all uncomfortable. Sometimes preachers don't want to bring it up because there may be someone who doesn't believe in Jesus in the audience and they don't want to make them uncomfortable. They don't want them to think that maybe this is what we're looking forward to is people ending up in this place. But actually, we Christians struggle with the fact of eternal punishment in hell. We, we struggle with this because there are people that we love who have rejected the message of Jesus. And that can be Painful. If you're submitted to Jesus' kingdom and long for his return, you also realize that there are people in your life, people you love, sons, daughters, parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, neighbors, people that you love and you cannot understand their rejection of this pearl of great price you realize that the deeply painful punishment described in verse 50 is the prospect for them in their rejection. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because if you know Jesus and you know His goodness, you long for everybody to have what you have. And I want you to think about that and I want to, I want to take a turn here and I want you to think that this might explain this might explain Jesus delay in his return. I I think this answers John the Baptist's perplexity as to why Jesus doesn't set everything right right now. There are people he has called to salvation who have yet to believe. And he puts us in their lives so that they can hear the good news about Jesus and believe in him. Of course, some of them will say they reject him and they will tell us, Don't bring up that Jesus stuff with me again. (laughs) I've heard that. But that doesn't change our love for them. What it does make us feel is totally inept. Our weakness becomes obvious to us. We can't save anybody. But we have time because the net hasn't been thrown out into the sea yet. We have time and we have access to the king of this kingdom and he can turn any heart. And so we must... Pray. So I think we need to see our endurance and our disappointment and our perplexity about things in life. And why doesn't God make it all right right now? I think we need to see that in the context of there are still people that he's going to pull in at the end of the age that are going to join him in his eternal kingdom. But first they must believe. We may be weak and ineffectual, but our God is strong, mighty to save, as Zephaniah puts it in chapter 317. So we pray for them, we continue to show love as we're able, and we wait for God to act. The Lord tells us to wait for his kingdom to expand, to wait for him to save for him to save many more people before he brings final judgment. Despite all my disappointments and my weariness in enduring, I'm joining Jesus and I'm waiting. And I'm saying, "O oh Lord, come, but not before every one of your people has been brought into your kingdom." So that's what these parables Call us to do. Wait, don't give up. So that's the parable of the net and the sorting of the fish, which the angels do at the end of the age. Next, we come to the final part of this sermon in Matthew 13, where Jesus explains why His teaching in these very parables seems new, and yet it is in in total keeping with what is old. So let's read it again, because it's been a little while. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? Jesus is speaking to the disciples. They said to him, yes. Yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So the second part of this sermon today, we learn that Jesus' ministry brings what is new that explains the old. He brings what's new and that explains what's old. Jesus is speaking now privately to his disciples. This is not a a public message he's bringing. In chapter 13, only the first four parables are public. But Jesus has to privately explain the parable of the four soils and the parable of the weeds. The last three parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl and the dragnet, Jesus tells to the disciples apart from the crowds. Okay, so they're just along. They're hearing these things privately. So this final text is something Jesus is sharing just with his disciple. He asks them, do you get the point? Do you get the point of the seven parables? And they say, yes. And then he introduces them to the basis of his theology. He He tells this to the disciples and he invites them to join him In his teaching, he's going to tell you, here's how I teach, and this is how you're to teach. Notice he says, every scribe. Scribes in Israel were those who understood the Bible, and their job was to help others to understand the Bible and apply it to their lives. Sounds a lot like pastors. Most of the scribes we meet in the Gospels have taught the Bible horribly wrong. And they're often in conflict with Jesus over this. They just declare a salvation that the Jews deserve because of their lineage and obedience. So a lot of times when you hear a scribe in the Gospels, you think negative, you think the bad guy. But Jesus is describing A new and different kind of scribe here. Jesus speaks here in verse 52 of a different kind of scribe, a different kind of teacher. This scribe has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. This is a scribe trained for the very things that Jesus has been describing in chapter 13. And there's a hint who he's talking about here in the word that we have translated in the ESV as trained because that word trained is the verb form of the word disciple disciple. Jesus is speaking privately in this passage to his disciples. His topic for each parable has been the kingdom of heaven. So, Every scribe who's been discipled for the kingdom of heaven. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to people who understand who he is and how he brings his kingdom. This teacher is a new kind of teacher. He's a disciple of Jesus who's been trained in how Jesus the king functions in his kingdom. The kingdom that he has brought down from earth, heaven to earth. So these parables in chapter 13 show us how Jesus works in the world prior to his final gathering and sorting of all people. Some accept his kingdom, some reject it. The people of his kingdom will be, will be mixed with the world. It's a small looking kingdom and its work and workings are often undetectable. But for those who find it, it is of value beyond anything the world contains. So here's how they're to teach. They're to teach this message of the kingdom. And their source material, in effect, is like the master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, if you read the scholars on this, it's pretty obscure to them. And there's a lot of argument about what exactly this means. I don't think it's that hard so, stick with me here. The treasure... It, it, it's, the analogy is not clear. Who, who's the master? What's he bringing out of his house? I, I don't know the master of the house, what he brings out. I, I don't know what he brings out. He could bring out all kinds of things. But the application is clear. The treasure is what the disciple, who is a teacher, brings to his audience. Okay, He's talking about, uh, he's, he's talking about them teaching, being a teacher, being a, a teacher of the kingdom, who's a disciple. So his teaching is going to bring out what is old and what is new. I think we can infer that Jesus is saying that his teaching about the kingdom is new. The Old Testament seemed to point to a kingdom that would come all at one time. Everything that the Old Testament says about the kingdom is true, and it can be a source of teaching about the nature of God and his work in the world. But Jesus comes and fulfills all that the law and the prophets pointed to, and he says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.17. He says, don't think I came to obliterate the law. No, I came to Fulfill the law. He comes to fulfill the law. So the new now interprets the old. The old is not to be discarded, but understood in light of Jesus' coming. And Jesus teaches us in Matthew 13 that his coming will initially not look very impressive. There was a heretic in the second century named Marcion. He said that with the coming of Jesus, the Old Testament was now irrelevant and even harmful to Christians, and they should not use it as their Bible. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. And the church rightly condemned Markian's teaching as heretical. The Old Testament is to be studied And understood both in how it functioned in Israel before Jesus came and in how its history and laws and promises are fulfilled in Jesus. So we need our entire Bibles. And we need to learn them in light of the new teaching that Jesus brings about how his kingdom fulfills and extends all that the Old Testament scriptures promised. See, John the Baptist had that Old Testament view of the kingdom. It's going to come a day and the Lord is going to come and everything's going to be sorted out immediately. John's view of the kingdom was the seventh parable. And so Jesus teaches these six parables leading up to that seventh parable. And he's saying, look, it's going to take time. It's going to take time for plants to grow. It's going to take time for bread to grow for the leaven to work through the bread. It's, it's going to take time. And if you're in the middle of that time, if you're living through that time, you will often be perplexed and disappointed because you're left in the pain of knowing who he is and how good he is. And you end up saying, how long, Lord, are you going to let this go on? And I think his answer, I think... Can't proof text it. I think his answer is, I'm going to keep this going till the last of my people comes in. And we can wait for that. So, what can we take away from these two passages and from this entire chapter? Well, the first and most obvious thing is, we need to orient our lives to submit to Jesus as king and he's king over like everything then we need to orient ourselves that our life purpose and mission is to bear fruit for his kingdom in everything we do in our work in our play in our rest, in our relationships. We're trying to bear fruit for His kingdom. We're trying to be like the king. Next, don't let the worries, riches, and pleasures of this life choke you off from His word. That's in the parable of the four soils. Next, put your roots down deep In Jesus, in his word, in obedience, in prayer, in fellowship, this will keep you from being scorched from the heat this world brings. Next, get used to the fact that your life and the life of all Christians will be intertwined with the people of this world and with all the trials and temptations, come with that. And you all know this because we're all relating to non-believers all the time. It's Jesus' plan. It's supposed to be out there. Their roots get entangled with ours. Jesus mm-hmm. says, don't pull the weeds out just yet because I want my people to stay planted. So it's, it's a part of the program. Any Christian who says, you know, let's move out in the country and develop a self-sufficient community where we only relate to each other. The, the really hard thing about that is that, that, that well, the hypocrites come and, and, and sinners go. And, so that's not an option. Okay, that wasn't in my notes. Let me keep going here. Don't be deceived by the kingdom's small beginnings and seemingly small effects. Okay? You, you, you look at the events of the world, and of course we have to look at the events of the world through the portal of the news media. And they don't seem to be tracking the kingdom. You know, they, they, they don't have like a special kingdom section of their editorial staff to just watch what Jesus might be doing right now in that bread. So don't be... Deceived by the kingdom's small beginnings. Look for its workings in quiet, unnoticed ways. It's common. It's not on the news, but it's common. Next, sell all you have for the kingdom. Let nothing of greater value be of greater value to you. Everything we are, everything that we have, everything we possess, every relationship, every material thing, we should be ready. And hold these things with open hands and say, Jesus, you can come and take them any time. You're enough. Next, don't despair when you see evil triumph in the world. When the church seems so weak and even compromised at times. When you see that the same temptations often control your own life. One day, Jesus will send his angels and they're going to sort it all out. Everything you see in this world today is temporary, not permanent, not always going to be this way. Next, don't give up on people who hear the message of Jesus' kingdom and refuse to repent. Okay. Some of us have relatives. We've been We've been praying for, trying to share the gospel with for 50 years. And they seem unresponsive. Hey, Ned hasn't been put out to sea just yet. There is still time. Who knows what God might do through your prayers and your persistent love? And then finally, listen to the disciples who as scribes of the kingdom can help you see How God has worked in history. Pay attention to teaching. Try to understand your Bible as one whole book that speaks with one voice from God. It takes a lifetime. And then you're never done and you die. And then it all makes total sense. But up until then, we can go a long way in our understanding We should understand God's work from creation of the world to the fall of our father Adam through the history of Israel to the coming of Jesus. We should understand how the kingdom works from Matthew 13. We should wait and be patient and endure knowing that this life is temporary. But the life to come is going to be everything John the Baptist expected. Everything he hoped for will all be fulfilled on that final day. Amen.